reading. The reading is taken from Luke 6, chapter 44, verses 27. Love for enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. Um, everyone welcome. It's uh, great to see you all here. My name's Daniel. You're in, in the presence of a very Daniel-heavy service, so um, do enjoy that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's great to be with you this evening as we continue our journey through the book of Luke. Um, and at this point, we get to what is, in some ways, quite an irritating passage, in the sense that there are some passages where you can spend a lot of time delving into the deep theology of it, and you can have a nice intellectual exercise, and you can spend a lot of time thinking about it, and it doesn't really demand very much of you. But when you get to a passage that says something like, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who will treat you, there's not really a lot of wiggle room in that one. There's not really a lot to think about. You're just left with the business of doing something that sounds quite difficult. But I think even with passages like this, where Jesus is being very straightforward in many ways, there are still ways that we can get this wrong, and we can come at it from the wrong attitude and from the wrong angle, and that can make this really difficult. So what we're going to do this evening is we're going to come at this passage from quite a wide angle, and we're going to start by thinking about, firstly, who is God, and secondly, who am I, before we start thinking about how do I love my enemies. So let's pray, and then we'll make a start. Lord God, would you be with us this evening as we hear from your word? Um, would you help me as I speak? Would you help us as we listen? Would you help us to hear your voice um, through all that is said this evening, through all that you speak to each one of us individually? Would you help us to know more of you and help us to hear what it is you have to say to us this evening? Amen. Amen. 
So the first point is, who is God? And you might think that this is an optimistic one to put a point one of a three-point sermon to suggest that we can cover this in a few minutes. Um, but let's have a crack. Um, because fundamentally, the really important thing that we need to remember about who God is is that God is a God who loves us unconditionally. And we see this in particular in the person of Jesus. There were loads of examples we could pick, but here are just a few of the ways in which God loves extravagantly and broadly and unconditionally. In the culture at the time, um, Jesus um, and the Israelites that he was around uh, were occupied by Roman occupants. And at one point, a centurion, a Roman centurion, comes up to Jesus and asks for healing for his servant. This has been a very unexpected move, but Jesus meets this man with compassion. He commends his faith, and he heals the servant. There were tax collectors around there as well. Tax collectors would have been very hated because of their collusion with the Romans, because of their own um, greed that, would, that the position would have op- allowed them to um, operate in. And yet when Matthew and when Zacchaeus come to Jesus, he meets them with compassion and goes and sits and eats with them. When there's a woman caught in adultery about to be stoned, Jesus comes alongside her. And when the crowd gradually disperses because none of them are willing to cast the first stone, Jesus then says, nor do I condemn you. Those with leprosy, Jesus would heal, in one case touching them, despite them being ritually unclean. His parables included talking about the prodigal son, a story where a son takes inheritance from his father, squanders it, and yet still when that son returns, the father receives him with open arms and kills the fatted calf to return him. In another parable, a servant has a debt that he cannot pay back, and in that situation, the master forgives the full debt of the servant. Jesus spends so much time with people who generally wouldn't be expected to know Jesus and to spend time with him. And ultimately, the biggest picture of the way that God loves us and the people that he wants to spend time with is in Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us that he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Rather, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, because it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves, it is the gift of God. So what we see in the person of God is, and in the person of Jesus, is someone who loves everybody unconditionally. And this brings us into who we are and what our identity is, because this is fundamental to the way that we live our lives, is understanding at our very heart, who are we? And so in a minute, I'm going to ask you this question, but I'm going to make it a bit easier for you because I'm going to put the answer on the screen. Um, And the answer is going to come from 1 John 3, verse 1, which says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So the answer to the question, who am I, is that I am a dearly loved child of God. So I'm going to ask you this question now, and then there's the answer on the screen, so hopefully you'll be able to answer this. So who are you? I am a dearly loved child of God. Very good. And we're going to spend some time on this because it's really important that we get this, and it's really important that we understand more deeply exactly what this means, that it moves from just something that we understand intellectually to something that we understand at a much deeper level. 
that we are children of God. And children generally are loved despite not having done anything to deserve it. I don't know if you've ever met a baby, um, but babies are smelly, they're noisy, they poop a lot, they disrupt your time, your money, your energy. They're objectively a really bad investment. <laughs> and yet, if you talk to a parent, they will love their child unconditionally, not because of anything that they've done. They've done literally nothing to deserve it. It's okay, I'm allowed to say this, I'm a former baby. Um, <laughs> done literally nothing to earn it, but regardless, that love is there anyway. We are loved purely by virtue of us being God's children. We've done nothing to deserve it. We don't need to do anything to deserve it. We are loved because we are children of God. So who are you? I am a dearly loved child of God. And God loves us as his children regardless of what we've done. God gives us work to do, and he delights when we do it, but he doesn't love us more because we do it. God's given us gifts and talents and abilities, and he rejoices when we use them. But the way we use those gifts isn't why he loves us. God has implanted his very image in us. He's made us in his own image. He didn't need to make us, and he doesn't need to be in relationship with us, but he chooses each one of us to love us and to know us and to be in relationship with us. He has chosen each one of us individually to be loved. So who are you? I am a dearly loved child of God. And because this is our identity, it means in particular we don't need to be perfect in order to deserve God's love. God's love is based on who He is and not on what we've done. Our lack of perfection does not make us any less in God's eyes. The author Brennan Manning puts it like this, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be, because nobody is as we should be. There isn't some platonic ideal of us that God loves, and we're trying to work towards that in order to achieve that love. God loves us as we are. And we know this because when we were at our furthest point, when we were at our most unlovable, our most rebellious against God, God, as the post-communion liturgy says, met us in his Son and brought us home. And so there is nothing that we can do to drive away God's love for us. I think some of us will have a bit of a mental block around this. Some of us will know I mean, a lot of us will know us individually, and some of us will really struggle to understand that God really does truly love us for who we are. We'll know the things that we've done wrong. We'll have other voices in our heads that tell us different things, and that can obscure some of the message that God has for us. However well you know yourself, God knows you better, and however well you love yourself, God loves you more. As the song goes, you see the depths of my heart, and you love me the same. So who are you? I am a dearly loved child of God. And this comes to the very heart of our identity, which is important and crucial to understand. There are many things about us that we might use and try and treat as our identity, our job, or our relationships, uh, or various other things that we might consider as our primary identity. And these are true about us, but these are not what is fundamentally at the very heart of us. These are not what makes up our DNA to sort of justify the arty nonsense on the screen there. This is not what really makes up at our very heart who we are. If you cut us through and take out everything else that we think might form our identity, when you boil us down to our very fundamental essence, what you see is we are loved children of God, first and foremost, beyond anything else that we might be. If we want to understand what love is, then we look at God. The Bible tells us that we love because He first loves us. And one of the passages that tells us the most about love is 1 Corinthians 13 that's often read at weddings. And this gives us so many pictures of what it means 
to love and to be loved. And although as humans we try and love each other and we do the best we can, we will sometimes fail and we will sometimes fall short. But in 1 Corinthians 13, we see this picture of love, of true love, and this reminds us of the person of God. And there are so many things in here that help to challenge thought patterns that might get in the way of us understanding this relationship with God. Because if we think that God must be tired of forgiving our failures, we're told that love is patient. If we think that God is forgiving us through gritted teeth, we learn that love is kind. If we think that God forgives us purely for himself rather than through deep care for us, we learn that love is not self-seeking. If we think that we've done too much in our past to be forgiven, we know that love keeps no record of wrongs. If we think that God is ambivalent to the evil in the world, we learn that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And if we think that we may somehow be pushing the boundaries of God's love, if we think we may be getting towards the edge of how much God is willing to love and forgive us, that we feel like we might be approaching the edge where God will say, this far I will love you and no further. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Who are you? I'm a dearly loved child of God. And there'll be some of us who, when we say this, are mentally adding a little asterisk to this, where we'll look around and we'll say, yeah, I can kind of believe that some of these other people here are people who are dearly loved child of God, but not me. And there'll be a little voice in your head that's telling you that maybe this isn't true. And some of us, that will be a voice that's internalized and been there for years and is really hard to shift. And I think God's message for you, particularly this evening, is that this is especially true for you if you feel like this might not be true. If you've got something in your head that says, no, that's not, that's not me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't know me. That's absolutely not true. And if you take nothing else away from this talk this evening, take away that you too are a dearly loved child of God. And this love goes really deep as well. Some of you will be wondering um, when we're going to move on and actually talk about the passage that we were supposed to be talking about, and I promise you we will get there in a minute. Um, so in a sense, we will move on from this, but in another sense, we're not going to move on from this, and as Christians, we're never going to move on from this, because this is at the very heart and foundation of everything that we do. And the reason we spent so much time on this, understanding this, is because it's really important that we get this, and we don't just get it at an intellectual level, we get it deep inside ourselves, so that whenever we think about ourselves, whenever we think about who we are, the thing that comes to us first is recognizing our position as dearly loved children of God. And this isn't something we're going to grasp in a few minutes or in an evening or even in a lifetime. And if you think you have, if you think, yeah, yeah, I get it, I'm a dearly loved child of God, I understand all of that, it's a little bit like taking a teaspoon of salt water, looking at it and saying, yes, I now fully understand the full depths of the ocean because I have this teaspoon. You've got a taste of it, and it's good, and there will always be more to learn and to understand and to delve into. But this is really fundamental and important to our identity. So, one more time, who are you? I'm a dearly loved child of God. And this is going to bring us into the passage that we read about how do we love our enemies. Because it's really important that we don't go about this the wrong way. And there are lots of ways in which we can do this that's going to be really actively unhelpful. And one of them, I think, is for us to just try really hard to love our enemies and just really sort of stamp our feet and squint our eyes and just really try and love people. Because we will get a certain distance with that, but it's not going to be the right approach. If I were to jump here, I would go a certain height. If an Olympic athlete came in and jumped, he would probably go higher 
and less of it like a weightlifter, weightlifter or, I don't know, a champion in lying down or something like that. I've lost myself in my own analogy. Um, but the point is, regardless of how high they jumped, technically, if that Olympic athlete came in here and jumped, technically they would be closer than I would be to landing on the moon. Technically, they would have got a bit closer. And, you know, they could try and jump and get even better, and they might get inches and inches higher. But there's still something fundamentally wrong with the approach. You know, some people will be better than others at it, but if we want to get to this point of really learning how to truly love our enemies, we can't do it in our own strength. And instead, what we need to do is allow it to stem from this identity that we have as loved children of God. Because all these things that are true for us are also true for our enemies and for the people with whom we disagree. These people are also dearly loved children of God, and they also need to know this love that we have some taste of. And so as a result of that, the way that we show love to our enemies and the people with whom we disagree is by allowing the love, the unconditional love of God, to flow through us and interact with the people around us. And in our passage, there's a few mentions of what this love might look like. We see that this love is unconditional. Look at verse 27 and 28. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. In those situations, you as a person have objectively been wronged. You've been cursed, you've been ill-treated, you've been hated. These are things that have objectively gone wrong with you. Someone has very much definitively been in the wrong in their interaction with you. And Jesus says, yes, but you're to love them anyway. You're to do good to them anyway. You're to bless them anyway. You're to pray for them anyway. And so in some sense, this unconditional love requires us to, in some, t in some cases, give up some of the rights that we might have, some of the, the grievances that we might rightly feel requires us to give that up to a certain extent in order to love the people around us that need to be loved. And this is quite countercultural in the individualistic society where we live in, where people are used to advocating for their own rights and their own interests. To be able to be willing to give some of that up in the act of loving someone else is radically countercultural and wouldn't come naturally to us unless we had seen God already do that in his love for us. We're to love extravagantly as well. If someone slaps us on one cheek, we're to expose them the other one as well. If someone takes our coat, we're to give them our shirt. If someone asks us for something, we're to give it to them. If we don't think someone's going to repay them, we give it to them anyway. We give and we love extravagantly. And I think one of the really good pictures of this is in uh, Les Miserables, which is a book or a film or a musical, depending on your level of culture. I will let you order them appropriately. But, um, and not giving, any, not giving anything away about my particular view, uh, early in this, uh, Hugh Jackman, um, who plays <laughs> Valjean, um, goes to the house of a bishop shortly after being released on parole. Um, and he stays overnight, and in the morning he leaves the bishop's house with some of the bishop's silverware. And the police catch him and bring him back to the bishop. Now, the bishop would be entirely within his rights to say, yes, he stole these things, and Valjean goes back to prison. If he was feeling very generous, he would potentially say, I'll take these back, but please don't press charges. But the extravagant love that the bishop shows is to say, actually, all these things that Valjean has taken, these are a gift from me to you. And further than that, he goes and finds the very best candlesticks in the house and gives them to Valjean as well 
and says, you forgot, you left these also. Would you leave the best behind? And this extravagant love that the bishop shows is such a transformative moment in Valjean's life because he's seen from the bishop the extravagant love of God that goes far beyond anything that he could ask for himself. And that love that he's shown transforms the way that he lives throughout the whole rest of the piece of media, however you best consume it. And this is one of the wonderful ways in which we as Christians can be radically countercultural in a really positive, helpful way. Because this is one of the ways where we can demonstrate God's love to people in the way that we treat them. And by showing them love that they haven't deserved and haven't earned, that gives them a picture of the love that God has for them that they haven't deserved or earned. And this brings us into needing to love broadly as well. The second half of our passage tells us that if we love those who love us or do good to those who do good to us or lend to those who are going to pay us back, then that doesn't really say very much about us because everybody does that. That comes naturally. A lot of people will just do this normally. The place where we as Christians do things radically differently is the way that we um, love those who don't love us, the way that we do good to those who aren't going to do good to us, the way, who we, the way we lend to people who aren't going to give things back to us. And again, as we've established, the difference with us as Christians is that our identity is as dearly loved children of God. And so in order to be able to do this broad love, we have to allow it to stem from the love that we ourselves have experienced as Christians, that we ourselves have known the love that has been afforded to us when we didn't deserve it. And because that love is exposed to us, to you and to me and to every person in this world, what right do we have to tell anyone that they aren't worthy of that love? And what right do we have to show anyone anything less than the full measure of God's love for them? So how do we do this? I think there's a few things to note here. And the first is that generally this will be a process and it will take time. God is God and God is perfectly able and willing to do whatever he wants. And in some cases that will involve an immediate, instant, radical transformation of our hearts to make us more loving. But I think it's much more often that the Spirit works in us gradually over time, helping to mold us carefully, piece by piece, into the people that God wants us to be. And so in particular, this may well take some time. We may well not just leave here this evening and be perfectly good at loving our enemies. It will take potentially months, years, potentially a whole lifetime to get the hang of it. And in particular, that means that, you know, maybe we won't be able to immediately forgive or love people who have done really deep wrongs to us. Many of us in our past will have experienced really deep, challenging things that we have to work to forgive, and it might take us a long time to get to that point of love and forgiveness, and that's okay. And what that might mean is that the right thing to do is to start small in some situations. We don't necessarily immediately go for the really difficult thing in the same way as if you're trying to do exercise, you don't immediately go and run a marathon. You do smaller pieces of exercise and you build up and you build up and you get better and better as you do it. And so you may want to start small, both with the people that you forgive and the actions that you forgive. Some actions are easier to forgive than others. In some situations, it may be easier to start with the smaller things, the smaller, very small grievances that annoy us briefly and then we forget about. The person who takes your parking space 
in the supermarket, the neighbor who's a little noisy, the coworker who makes an offhand comment that rubs you up the wrong way. Little things that just happen throughout our day that maybe unnerve us a little bit, and then we move on. Those are wonderful situations to practice this way of love and forgiveness. And it's important to get this right in the small things as well as the big things, because even small things, like, like the things we just mentioned there, if we allow them to fester deep within us and we don't have that spirit of forgiveness, even those small things over time can grow up and become something much bigger and much more deeply rooted. Likewise with people. Some people we will have been really hurt and grieved by, and it might be hard to pray for them and to forgive them and to love them. And it may be easier to start with people who we're closer to, people who we already love, where this is a little bit easier to do. Or maybe just, you know, complete strangers who have, you know, taken your parking space and then gone away again. I seem to have a vendetta against people who've taken my parking space. I do apologize. don't think anyone's ever taken my parking space, but um, if they have, then this is a great opportunity to practice. But anyone who's, um, you know, who you're not interacting with very often, you don't have very strong feelings to, again, it might be easier to be more charitable to them. And then over time, as you grow, as you grow in that spirit of love and forgiveness, it will start easier to become forgiving and loving to people who we see regularly who annoy us a bit and then go deeper and deeper and deeper in the way that we love. Because ultimately, each person that we interact with is also known and loved by God. They are a dearly loved child of God. And as we interact with them, as we follow them, as we do our lives with them, it's important that we recognize that every single person we interact with is also a loved child of God and we treat them appropriately. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray for our enemies. And we're going to have um, a little bit of a, a step of where we're going to go. So I'll talk you through what we're going to pray. Uh, and then we will pray this and we'll have a go and see how it goes. But fundamentally, the first thing that we're going to do, and there's nothing particularly magic or special about these particular things. This is just something that I think you might find helpful. If you do, then great. If not, then no worries. But I think it's really important that we start as we started this talk, by understanding God's love for us. So we understand our identity and make sure that we have that really deep understanding of the way that God feels about us. We'll then ask God to put his finger on a particular person or situation where we might want to be a little bit more forgiving, where we might want to be a little bit more loving to people who've grieved us. And once we've identified a person and a situation, we'll first pray for the person We'll ask God to show us the way that he sees that person, the way that he looks at that person, the gifts and talents and abilities he's made them, and the things that he loves about them, even if they are buried underneath other things that have got in the way of that perfect image of God. And we'll thank God for those things. And then we'll pray for the needs of that person. Often the grievance that we've met involves at some level some issue that hasn't been met. If you've been slapped on the cheek, it might be somebody who's struggling to process their emotions and needs to work on that. Someone who's taken your coat may be cold and struggling for warmth and shelter. Someone who's not paying back things that have been donated to them, maybe someone who's struggling financially. In all of these cases, there may be a good underlying need that we can pray for and ask for God's intervention on, even without condoning the action that they may have taken. And then finally, we're gonna pray for God to transform our hearts so that the next time we find ourselves in one of those situations, we're able to react more lovingly and more graciously and we'll allow God to put his finger on something that he wants us to do.
So that's what we're going to pray. Um, hopefully, you're OK with that. Um, if not, we're going to do it anyway. So, uh, um, but ultimately, this is ultimately between you and God. So um, you know, allow God to speak with you and guide you and see where we go. So yeah, if you want to close your eyes, and we'll pray through this. So the first thing we'll do is we'll ask God to remind us of the love that he has for us. Ask God to show you the way that he sees you. Not as the world sees you, not even maybe as you see yourself, but the way that God sees you as a dearly loved child of his. As you pray, you may hear other voices. There may be other things in your head that are telling you negative things. Um, that isn't from God. That isn't what God wants you to hear. Listen for the voice of God and listen to him telling you how much he loves you and cares for you. some of us this evening, that may be all that God wants us to know and to hear. And you'll know if that's you. And if that is, then feel free to stay in that place, receiving from God all that he wants to show you about who you are and how much that he cares for you. For others of us, this is now the time to ask God to put on your hearts a particular grievance or person that God wants you to work through this evening. It's between you and God. No one else is going to ask you what this is. It could be big. It could be small. Uh, it could be a really hard grievance to resolve or a really trivial one. It could have been from a really long time ago or something that happened very recently. Whatever it may be, ask God to put his finger on something that he wants you to look at this evening. And then we'll pray first for the person. This person, whoever they are and whatever they have done, is a child of God. They bear God's image and God's image is in them. God has blessed them with gifts and talents, even if they are buried under so much other stuff. Just ask God to show you the way that he sees that person, the way that he knows them, the things that he delights in them. And as you identify these things, as God puts them on your heart, just thank God for them. And if there's nothing that's particularly coming to mind, just thank God for that person anyway, being a child of God. We're next going to pray for the grievance, whatever it may be. And we're going to ask God again to direct our prayers in terms of what the underlying need might be behind that that we can pray for. 
for the person who's grieved us in whatever way it may be. Again, maybe something in particular comes to mind, in which case, ask God for that way of blessing that person. And if nothing's particular in coming to mind, just ask for God's spirit to rest on that person and to guide that person. And then finally, for ourselves, if we're going to maybe find ourselves in a similar situation again or interacting with that person again, whatever it may be, there may be situations where in the future we're going to have an opportunity to show God's love more radically in the way that we act and in the way that we act. So whatever that may be, ask God to help you identify something that you can do um, with God's power and strength within you the next time one of those situations arises to more clearly demonstrate the love that you have received from God and the love that God has for these people. Father God, we thank you for all these situations we've named before us, all these people that we have named before you. We thank you for your spirit and your love at work within us. And we pray that you would help us as Christians here to be more loving of those around us, to be more forgiving of our enemies, to be able to be bearers of your love and grace for those people that we find around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so for many of us, that will be a step on a journey. It won't be the whole journey for many of us. There will maybe be many other situations that we need to forgive, or we may need to go through that many times in order to get deeper and closer with the forgiveness. But God loves the steps that we make, and anything that you've done here today to move closer to being a more loving person is something that God delights in. There may be bigger, deeper things that need to be addressed, in which case there is plenty of opportunity for prayer throughout the service. Um, over here, um, after the service, there will be a prayer ministry team who you can meet and, uh, and pray about anything that this may have brought up. You can pray with someone you've come with. Um, there's the Well Christian Healing Center if there's deeper things that you need to look at. Um, if you're listening or watching online, then there will be opportunities um, to come to future services or to meet with other Christians and to um, explore these things more deeply. But it's important that we recognize that this is a journey that we're going on to love people more. And it's a journey that as we learn more about the way that God loves us, we'll be able to extend that love to more and more people and learn what that looks like to truly live out the love that God has shown us. So in a minute, we're going to be moving into our last song. Maybe if the band could come back. Um, but if you'd stand with me and I'll pray for us uh, before we go into our final song.